Hello, this is Drew Malone, and this, you're listening to The Take, your uh, one-stop shop for current events, historical perspective, and a Christian worldview. What I'd like to talk about today, and the topic for today, will be this coronavirus outbreak, of course, because that's what everyone's talking about. And we're going to look at the coronavirus outbreak and try to put it into a perspective about why our country has answered the coronavirus threat in the way it has. So that's coming up on The Take. I was a political science minor in college. And one of the things that always fascinated me was how the development of government years ago tend to influence the way a country looks at how governing should occur today. And in the United States, that's no different. Now, a lot of people out there are asking, why have we not tried or why have we not uh, come to the same approach when it comes to dealing with the coronavirus? For example, uh, South Korea or Germany has with a kind of uh, unified national response. And really, I think this there's a there's a, a lot of depth to that question. One needs to go back all the way to the beginning, the origins of our country to try to understand and give a well-rounded perspective on that question. Now, let's step back into the politics of the late 18th century, this being the 1790s and the late 1780s. The Constitution had just been put together, uh, generally made as a compromise between the states and those who thought that the power should reside in the federal government. Now, the question that every country has to ask itself upon putting together a new constitution and a new form of government is, where does the power reside? And there was a lot of debate back then. We think that that it's a new invention that... Uh, politics is controversial but it it i think if you look back in the history of our country it has been controversial all for a long time so generally you have sort of uh, two schools of thought one would be called the federalist school of thought which uh believed that most of the political power in the country need to reside in a strong centralized government, in a strong federal government, such as the system you would see in Britain at the time and still see in Britain. And generally, the response to a uh, countrywide emergency through a federalist, uh, through a federal system, through a unitary system, it's called, would be a uh, kind of a national unified response led by a limited number of those in power. In Britain's case, it would be the king. 
and in our case, their idea that would be sort of a uh, executive, a president who was entrusted with a lot of power. Now, on the other side, you had the a party called the Democratic Republicans, and the Democratic Republicans were very much. Uh, weary and afraid of the abuse of power from a strong centralized government. They were afraid that local governments and state governments would be deprived of their power so much that you would essentially have a uh, dictatorship by the minority on the majority of the country. And here is how we got our system, how we got what is called the federalist system. The idea that the federal government and state and local governments share the responsibility and power of, uh, of, res- of the government that all the power is not invested and all the lawmaking authority is not invested in the central government in the f- in the you know large countrywide government but it's delineated from uh, some to the central government some to the states and some to the local authorities and this is kind of where we are today and to be sure, the uh, federalist system where power is fragmented between states, federal government, and local government does have a lot of disadvantages. For sure, it, uh, many historians would argue that this lack of authority from the federal government explains why the Civil War was necessary, because the federal government did not have the authority through this system or the political might to uh, stop the expansion of slavery at the time. So, and generally, this type of government is uh, very slow to respond to crises. In general, there are exceptions, but for the most part, the idea is with a fragmented uh, government, you are not very unified in your response. Now this, back to the coronavirus, one would think a, a unified government response would be the most ideal uh, thing to do in this situation, but that doesn't seem to be the tendency of the Trump administration at this time. They, their tendency is to that we should continue the policy of federalism and allow states and local governments and governors to uh, make the best policy they think for their own state. And we've seen how those policies have differed. You have some governors around the country that have implemented fairly strict uh, coronavirus social distancing policies and other ones that are uh, fairly 
loose in comparison to others. But overall, you don't see a unified response like you might see done in Germany or in uh, South Korea. And to be honest, that probably hurts us in some ways. It honestly does because we can't mount, we don't have the organization to mount a necessary response to uh, the crisis as, say, South Korea does. In South Korea, it's uh, actually pretty, uh, pretty cool what they've done with their system. Essentially, the whole government has prepared a system where they are able to track and monitor uh, where the disease spreads. They're able to use uh, social media and uh, data tracking to find out where exposed people may have been and then isolate the people that may have been exposed to them in a very efficient manner. But it's not something that's available here in the United States, here in North America generally, because we don't have the kind of organization at this point to be able to do that. And overall, there's many people that are wary to try to implement that organization because it would require a larger government presence, a larger uh, federal government presence in the lives of individuals. And if there's one value that has uh, been prevalent in American society, it's uh, privacy from search and seizure of data. That's why there was so much of a uh, uh, controversy over the, the Patriot Act. So this is sort of an interesting place we've gotten to ourselves here. At what point do we value the safety and security and value of slowing a disease significantly with uh, the full centralized power of the government? And at what point are we willing to sacrifice individual freedom for that? That's, that's generally a good question. Would we tolerate a... Um, Increased government presence in our lives if it means we could get out of quarantine faster? That I, I think there's uh, legitimate questions to be asked here because say this happens again in the future, obviously we're going to get out of this, but would we choose to have increased government surveillance, increased government tracking on our movement in exchange for uh, preventing this sort of um, uh, wide, widespread uh, one-size-fits-all answer to social distancing, where you have many, many people out of work and a huge economic impact. I mean, that's sort of the question that we're getting now. What would you prefer?
It's honestly a question that I think everyone needs to think about. You know, uh, what freedoms are you willing to give up for a feeling of normalcy? Is that something that you really value? It's I would say it's something that many, many Americans value. And in general, the answer that I think uh, many countries have come to is uh, that they value that security, that feeling of security and normalcy over uh, the extension and promotion of individual freedom. I, I mean, this hasn't always been the tendency, especially in the United States, where sort of the idea of having individual freedoms and and limited interference from the federal government and state government and that the role of the individual is put to the forefront is has been raised up as being important. But it will it always be. Should it always be? Now, I have generally come to the conclusion now in watching the Trump administration so far that um, his administration really values um, federalism and the idea of a limited government presence in the lives of individuals and especially corporations. And he tends to toe their Republican line on this, as you've seen throughout the Trump administration. He has done what uh, many conservative presidents tend to do and has limited uh, regulation on the federal government, even gotten rid of some of it. And um, this is really, I think, um, continue to delegate a lot of the power to individuals and to the states themselves. And where you really see this is in uh, the tax cuts. Now, the idea and the long-held idea in economics is the more that a government taxes a corporation or a business, the more, quote-unquote, control the government has over that business. The more regulations that exist upon a certain industry, the more control the government has over uh, the, the, the market. Now, the Trump administration has many, um, falling, towing the line of many Republican administrations throughout the history of this country, have looked to deregulate this and have generally left the uh, job of regulation upon the states for state government to choose how they react. But generally, the federal government has stepped back from that. And it kind of follows the trend that has happened in this country because as of late, uh, especially conservatives would say, among uh, the administrations of 
uh, Obama and even George Bush, the federal government has continued to consolidate power over the free market. And there's a lot of pushback because that is generally something that is viewed in a negative light in our country. And this is what I'm trying to get at, that these principles of limited government, the principles of federalism, they prevail and pervade in our society even today. And they have value because they protect the individual. They protect uh, business from intrusive and invasive government. These values are what separate and give individuals and businesses freedom to do as they see fit. And it also gives local governments the freedom and, and responsibility to do what they see fit in their own individual community. But this doesn't exactly mesh well at times with responding to an international and uh, widely pervasive crisis. And in general, in times of emergency, uh, governments have tended, even our own government has tended to uh, invest more power in the federal government invest more authority in the federal government and essentially take it away from from uh, business, take it away from local governments. And it, it seems to me, since this is kind of uh, Mr. Trump's, one of Mr. Trump's real big values, remember he was a, he was a businessman and he, he has the values of uh, free enterprise more than perhaps many other people that run for our local governments or even national governments have either. Remember, he has that background. And that's one of the things we have to consider when we see and try to understand why Mr. Trump and his administration has felt like they didn't, they're not taking the mantle of uh, the full power of the federal government to answer this crisis. Because he does have those values, and he definitely does have the values of a limited government. And these kinds of crises tend to fly in the face of those that really value the value a limited national government. To say a national government response is totally unprecedented in our country and a, a, a great uniqueness in our country's history is untrue. One can look at uh, the, the two world wars, for example, and you can see the different examples of the federal government uh, making policy and law to interfere and regulate uh, citizen lives. 
in general, you can see that in the De- Defense Production Act. Actually, it it would be sort of the nationalization of industry in country in our countries where you have things like uh, the Ford Ford Motor Corporation uh, converting their factories by essentially the decree of the federal government to uh, start making tanks instead of cars. And generally, the uh, conversion from a uh, peacetime economy where consumer products are made to a wartime economy where the federal government is instructing industry on what needs to be made when. And this is a... It's a tricky road because sometimes in the midst of necessity, strong power tends to accrue in the f- in federal governments and then never goes away. Now what you see, of course, uh, after wartime, you see those powers of the federal government become withdrawn. Right. And, you know, Ford goes back to manufacturing cars and they go back to selling cars as they see fit. And the government tends to uh, have less and less of a role in determining what corporations and individuals do. Now, the fear, I think, from the Trump administration, you see Trump activated the Defense Production Act in order to put... um certain industries, for certain industries to uh, follow the role of the federal government to essentially nationalize the the effort to make ventilators, to make uh, uh, masks and whatnot. Generally, the, the fear is that once we begin, once the government, once a trend begins, where the federal government is telling industries what it should and should not make, then we'll be stuck with that. Then we'll start converting to a uh, larger sort of socialist system, as many other countries have. Or not an all-out socialist system, but we'll start... Uh, getting into habits where people, where the federal government takes control. Secondly, one can look at Donald Trump's background and kind of understand that he is a big believer in the idea of the free market that essentially when there is demand, as there is demand upon ventilators and there is demand upon for mass, the free market will respond. And that's generally what we've seen. We've seen, even without Donald Trump nationalizing the industries of this country to produce the products necessary, we've seen companies and corporations voluntarily begin 
manufacturing things. Uh, I believe it was Hanes. Their products have begun, they've begun manufacturing uh, N95 masks for hospitals. We've seen uh, the Ford Motor Corporation and a GM. They've begun converting some of their plants to produce ventilators for the big outbreak of needs we see, especially in New York. So much of much of the uh, necessity is, and Donald Trump is hoping, and generally conservatives in general are are hoping that the market is going to respond to the necessity and uh, make the equipment needed in order to fight this um, coronavirus and and provide when it is needed. And it seems like Donald Trump really isn't readily wanting to use the Defense Production Act and force companies into making uh, certain products. So it's a little bit of a gamble for sure, but he, I think, is betting on the patriotism and uh, the sympathy, empathy and sympathy of this country. And generally, so far, we have not had issues as much in the United States as, say, Italy, with getting the supplies we need, the ventilators, where there is not a shortage as far as I am aware. So, largely, as I said before, the idea of federalism pervades. And even the critics of Mr. Trump in this time would have to admit that they benefit from the positives of federalism. The fact that they get to make the policy that they want in their own uh, spheres of influence, in their own states, in their own local governments. And Donald Trump does not make those policies. Say Donald Trump had ultimate power, which he does not, and say the influence of the states was low, and say Donald Trump um, said that we shall have a countrywide reopening two weeks from now on Easter. That would happen despite uh, what any local governments really thought. But in this way, individual governments, individual governors and administrators can tailor the response they need in their individual counties and states to what they really need. And this was the, the big idea behind the concept of federalism. James Madison explains that when power is fragmented like this, yes, it does limit a national government response, but it also makes uh, government much more responsive to the people and tailoring what they need 
to the individual citizens of a certain state. And it'll be kind of interesting to see how, in general, uh, federalism's response is to the COVID-19 outbreak. Is tailoring a country's response to the individual state and allowing uh, the individual governments to decide what is best for their own state, is that ultimately going to be a better response than having an all-around coordinated and orchestrated national government effort? It's a uh, test of the philosophies of uh, these governments, and we'll see which one prevails. This has been The Take with Drew Malone. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you later.